Good morning, Grace Assembly. Now we'll say, good morning, Grace family. Amen. So I'm the replacement for the replacement. I don't know how I feel about that. I just decided. The replacement for the replacement. I've been a lot of things. Well... I, we, I am, boy, I am so excited about what's happened over these past few weeks. Amen? D- does anybody agree with me? Yes. That was a really bad, yes. Wasn't well, it really saw, oh, the first service was better than that. I say that because Pastor Pablo said that a few weeks ago, so I, <laughs> I, get, I, I mean, last Sunday, I don't know, if, uh, you don't, some of you don't even realize what was happening at these altars. I mean, we were standing over here, Sharon and I were standing over here, and we had a young man come up, and I mean, he started speaking in tongues before we even prayed over him. I mean, and then we went over to, who was it, Dennis and Karen were over there? And I mean, within seconds, and God was just moving, and, it, and the preaching was good. It was very good. It was excellent. But it wasn't just the preaching. It was the Spirit of God that was moving. Amen? And so if he has great things planned uh, for the future, I want to be a part of them. Anybody want to say amen to that? I, I want to be on board. And uh, so there's no pressure here whatsoever for me, is there? But next week, I look forward to next week. Next week is going to be exciting. Because you're, we are going to have the chance to get outside of these walls and speak to people out in the community. And in turn, you know something? We get very comfortable behind these walls sometimes. And we just need to get out and, and make sure that we rub shoulders and we are a part of what God is doing out there. So um, even if you're, I know, I know Pastor uh, volunteered all of you. But uh, if, you, if you haven't signed up or whatever, I, I want to encourage you to come and, and be a part of the day. Just to come and, and walk the grounds and see what's happening. If not, you may miss out. Okay, so uh, next week, come expecting at Woods Park. Right? Well, let me tell you, um, by the way, uh, Dan... Uh, McLaughlin told me that I should embarrass Alyssa. I don't even see her in the auditorium. It, that's a right. That's embarrassing right there. <laughs> she didn't want to hear her father. <laughs> well, anyway, I don't. Uh, I wasn't going to do that, but since she's missing, maybe I should. <laughs> but she called me last week and she said, uh, Pastor Doug would like to have you minister. And she said, but you've got um, an abundance of, of material to pull from. Uh, you've got about 25, 30 years worth. And so yesterday, I said to Alyssa, this is a new message. Amen. It's a new message. I didn't even take it from the files. Here, here's what happened. I, I began to pray over what I should share. I, you know, I looked... Boy, I, and you could do all kinds of things for Father's Day. You know, you could talk about our Heavenly Father and what a great example and Father. You know, we could do all that. We could talk about, you know, how we're supposed to behave as fathers and 
or maybe how you're not supposed to behave as fathers, and you could use David. And, 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 and the Lord kind of pressed upon my heart that I was to go to 1 Corinthians 13, and I said, Lord, the love chapter? Really? I argued a little bit with him, but I always lose every time I argue with him, so I figured, oh, oh forget that. And so I began to think about um, where, where it's located. I, 1 Corinthians 13, you know, generally, when you use 1 Corinthians 13, either you're at a wedding, right? And how many weddings, Pastor, have you and I done where we've, where we've read 1 Corinthians 13 or it becomes a part of the, the process? Uh, or you go to a couple's retreat and they always use 1 Corinthians 13 there, you know. And, and, but for Father's Day, I'm thinking, Lord, really? And then as I looked at the fact that here it is, it is right between sinners, right between 12 and 14, where we're talking about the gifts of the Spirit. And I said, Lord, you're, you're very interesting here because what you're doing is you're, you're having us look at a piece of Scripture that coincides with what pastor's been preaching about. 12 talks about the gifts of the Spirit, the, the manifestations, and, and these are the supernatural manifestations of God, God desiring to work through you and I so that in turn we can, we can edify, we can empower, wow, we can exalt Christ. And, and, then, and then you realize that on the other side of 1 Corinthians 13, he's talking about how to properly use the gifts of the Spirit. And here we've got the love chapter right in between. So what's that say to us? Well, to me, it began to speak about the reality that if we're truly going to love, then we have to understand the nature and the character of the living God. Because if we don't minister, if we don't, if we don't allow the reality of, of that aspect of God's nature to work through us, we're in trouble. Are you, are you with me here? This is the nature of God. Now, there are, there are certain aspects of, of the nature of God that he's not going to share with anyone. He is eternal. You and I are not. He is, he is present everywhere, but you and I are not. He is powerful, all-powerful. You and I are not. He's all-knowing. You and I are not. But there are those characteristics that he shares. He shares with you and I his love. Not only in the sense that he loves us, but he wants us to express that love to a dying world. He shares with us the nature of his joy and the, the, his, his peace and his comfort. And, and he shares with us those aspects of his nature. And he expects us, in turn, to show those to those around us, to those who are looking at us and to us and for us, to, to speak into their lives. Fathers, he's looking for you to minister in that fashion to your kids. Now, I'm not going to talk about love in the aspect of the concept of a Hallmark movie. Sorry about that, ladies. I mean, my, my wife loves Hallmark movies. And I'll say to her, can we not watch something other than a chick flick Mike, you laugh, but I know you know exactly what I'm talking about. <laughs> you know, the, the, there's got to be something else on. 
But I'm not going to talk about it in that realm. I'm talking about that deep abiding love that God has for mankind. And that deep abiding love that he desires for us to show one another. And that deep abiding love that he desires to express to a lost world. Let me give you a little background. Now, you have to understand, I'm a former history teacher. That was long before ministry. I was a history teacher. Then I was a school administrator. But let me give you a little background because that's who I am. So this place called Corinth, where was it? It was in what we would call present-day Greece. It, it was, it's located on the Peloponnesian, say that three times fast, the Peloponnesian Plateau which actually, uh, it was, Corinth was located right at the point where there was a land bridge to the main part of Greece, but it was located right there so that it was also a seaport and it was to the west of Athens. So you, you realize that much of the culture there is flowing back and forth. It, it was made up of both Jew and Gentile. The city was a commercial seaport. It, it was therefore, you can imagine the activity and the, and the vibrance and, and the, the finances that are flowing through that city. But it was an extremely immoral city. It was filled with temples and shrines. One of the main temples was the Temple of Apollo in, in Corinth. And Apollo was representative of a young, virile, handsome, beautiful man. You can imagine what revolved around that particular temple. It was a city that, being made up of Jew and Gentile, also that was, this, was what was in the church. That was who was in the church. And Paul had gone there in AD 50 during his second missionary journey. He'd spent 10 months there. And, and then he left. Basically, he was driven out of the city because of his teaching about Christ. So the church has been established, but you don't see him in relationship with that church until you get to the third missionary journey where, where we see him writing to the church in A.D. 55-56, and basically what he's having to do is correct the problems in the church. And there are multiple, there's multiple problems. There are moral issues galore. There are problems within families and as a matter of fact, you get to the, you get to the 11th chapter of, the, of 1 Corinthians, and, and here what do you find? You find that he is having to address issues with regards to the Lord's Supper and how it's being partaken. And then you get to 12, 13, and 14, and he's dealing with the, the gifts of the Spirit, the manifestations of his, of his power. And, and 14 deals with making sure that the church is decent and in order. That's how the gifts were conducted. And then you get to 15, he talks about the resurrection. So this is a, a chapter filled with, with doctrine and reality. So as I began to look at what, what Paul was writing, I, I came to grips with the fact of what he was having to address and so on. But right, right in the middle there, that 13th chapter, is this whole issue of love. You know, back in the 70s and 80s, and that really dates me. Some of you weren't even born back then. Some of you were around, but you were too young to remember. 
Some of you old timers know exactly what I'm talking about. There was a lot of messages about love. God's love. Love for one another. As a matter of fact, there, was, there were so many messages about love that somehow the whole aspect of, of uh, sin, holiness, that was kind of lost. But then what we find is that people refer to it as what was called sloppy agape. You remember it was sloppy agape? The, talking about love, agape love, but it, it was kind of watered down, this whole concept of the love of God. And it's essential for that people know about the love of God. So as I look at, at God's love, here's what I see. I don't see a Hallmark movie, as I said, and I don't see this sloppy agape. I see a God who loves us enough to draw us to himself, to bring comfort and understanding and direction and purpose. I also see a God that disciplines. Now, you have to realize... My poor kids grew up in a home, household, where their dad had been a high school principal. And ergo, uh, I was said to be a, a, a kind of a tough person. My kids still love me, by the way. I mean, we celebrated Father's Day yesterday, and they, I got very nice cards that told me how much they love me. So here's what my takeaway from that is, that even though I was hard, in many instances, it helped them to understand there are certain things that are right and certain things that are wrong and certain things that need to be corrected. It's not wrong to discipline. So dads don't say somehow my kids won't love me if I don't discipline them. They'll hold the standard here and your kids will work to here. Hold the standard here and they'll work to there. Basic principle. We hold the standards here. But the, the reality is, God is this mixture of love. He, he loves us. That's why he, he drew us to himself. But he's also this God that has standards, and he's going to hold you to the standards. But he wants us also to take that same love and begin to express it to one another because there are lost people. They need to know that God cares about them. God desires to direct their lives. God desires to work in them. And, and God desires to, to do something very special. That's part of who God is. We can't negate that. But I'm afraid that we sometimes do. And as I look at this, one of the things that Paul is addressing in this 13th chapter, he's looking back at the 12th chapter and he's beginning to realize that there are times that if we're not careful the empowerment that comes from the Almighty is lost in pride, in jealousy. It's lost because we, it's not done in love. Look, look what he says in this 13th chapter, starting with the first three verses. He says, if I speak in the tongues of men and angels but have not love, I am like a, I'm only a sound, resounding gong or a clanging cymbal. If I have the gift of prophecy and can fathom all mysteries and all knowledge, and if I have a faith that can move mountains but have not love, I am nothing. I give all I possess to the poor. If I give all I possess to the poor and surrender my body to the flames but have not love, I gain 
nothing. And we come to grips with the fact that the spiritual gifts without the love of God amount to absolutely nothing. They're empty. They're meaningless. And that's not what he desires by any stretch of the imagination. He wants us to realize that that these supernatural gifts are there for a purpose. They're there to edify the church. They're there to empower the Christian. They're there to exalt Christ. But they need to be done in a loving fashion so that people will be drawn and not pushed away. You know, he's, he looks at all of these. He takes, the, he takes the, all of the manifestations that he's referred to in chapter 12. Tongues. Prophecy. Knowledge. Faith. And he says, you know something? All of that so-called knowledge... All of those times that we, man, we want to look spiritual. We want to have that faith. You know, e- even the sacrificial areas. If it's not done with regards to the realm of love, it's nothing. I've been in churches where messages have come forth and they're, they're, they're not scripturally wrong, but the tone And, and God is a God of love. He wants relationships with people. He doesn't want to repel them. He wants to draw them. So all, all of this is, if it's done in the wrong, with the wrong motivation and the wrong way, it's empty and meaningless and purposeless. Now, again, I believe in discipline, and I believe in in confronting, and I believe in all of those things, but at the same time, I find that over the years, I found that it's much easier, for instance, to, to, to discipline my kids when they know that I love them, and I care about them. They're more ready to receive it <laughs> than if they think I'm just being harsh, be harsh. It, it doesn't stop there. He goes on in the next few verses, starting with verse 4, running to 7, and he, and he begins to outline for us that truly what he's talking about is love as an activity, love as a behavior. It's not just an inner feeling. It's not an emotion. It's not just a, a motivation. But rather, this love is, is how he has related to us and how he wants us to relate back to him and with one another. Um, boy, am I glad he loves me in this fashion. And you should be too. Because he could have given up on you a long time ago. But he could have given up on me a long time ago. And Sharon could say a big amen to that one. (laughs) But here's, here's the reality. He could have given up on us, but he didn't. And through his... His working in our lives, he brought us into a place of where he has time and again shown us who he is. Look at, look at some of these. I, I, what I did was I took, I, I took this list and I began to draw from various uh, you know, commentaries and other Bibles. And, and here's what I came up with. Listen to this. Love suffers long. In other words, it's patient patient with imperfect people. 
This room is filled with imperfect people. None of us have reached perfection. We're far from it. But He's been patient with us. But how often are we impatient with those who aren't quite up to our standards? Our God suffers long, and and in turn, you and I need to get to that place of where we suffer long. Love is kind. It's active in doing what is right and what is good. Love does not envy. Love's not jealous. Love wants people to succeed. (laughs) That's what we look for. Love is not proud. Love is not rude. Love doesn't treat one another arrogantly. Love is not self-seeking. Love doesn't demand our rights. Love is unselfish. And you may say, I don't do too badly in this. Really? Because I had to come to grips with the fact as I was reading through this list one more time that how often I fall short. Love is, (laughs) love is not easily angered or irritable or touchy or hostile under pressure. I said to the first service, and I won't ask you to raise your hands, but how many of you had a struggle getting out of the house this morning to come to church? I, I, I can remember back in those days when our kids were little and we were trying to get out the door and I was pastoring and I was trying to push them out the door. Not so gently. And I was not always exactly the nicest person. As a matter of fact, the last church we pastored, I finally said to Sharon, I'll go on ahead of you and you stay home and I'll, we'll, we'll re- meet you there. And generally, I took, uh, I took a, Laura with me, our youngest with me. And we would load in the car, and, and this is a little side note. We would drive through the, we would drive through the golf course, and, and it was a Sunday morning, early Sunday morning. As we drove through the golf course, Laura and I would roll down the windows, right? And we'd yell out the windows, sinner! <laughs> we laughed about that. If Sharon was ever in the car, I would have been in so much trouble. We didn't mean anything by it. We just thought it was funny. So we'd ride through the, you know. Laura and I would laugh, you know. That was bad, wasn't it? (laughs) But our God is not, our God is a God that is not angered, irritable, and touchy with us. So what about how we react to one another? Love goes, he goes on, love does not keep an account of wrongs. It doesn't keep an account. I am so glad for that. I'm glad he doesn't keep an account of my wrongs. But it goes on. He even erases resentments. He even erases those, those memories of what we have been and what we've done. Love does not rejoice in evil. Boy, we shouldn't rejoice in the evil of the day in which we live. And it doesn't, it does not find satisfaction in spreading the evil report. In other words, talking about one another. Love rejoices in truth. What is truth? This is truth. Love rejoices in the truth. He goes on. Love defends others. 
defends, despite how you feel. I will defend my wife. Now, she and I may have words later, but I will defend her to the hilt. I will defend this church to the hilt. I will defend what we're doing to the hilt. Why? Because I believe in what we're doing, and I believe in the people that are doing it, and I will defend. Love believes the best in others. Love never gives up on others. And when I look at that, I think of the reality that love meant that God never gave up on me. Even in those worst moments, but he continued to draw. Love perseveres. Those are the qualities. That's, that's true love. That's the love that we should be manifesting. That's the love that we should be sharing. And if I look at this list, I don't find it an easy list. So I come to grips with the fact that the only way that I could possibly love in this way is through the power of the Holy Spirit that we've been talking about for weeks here. That power of the Holy Spirit that, yes, allows me to speak in tongues. Yes, that allows me to be used in the gifts of the Spirit. Yes, it allows me to pray over people and see them healed. That, that power that's available to you and I. But I'm here to tell you that if I'm going to manifest these characteristics, this characteristic of the Almighty God, that I need that empowerment from on high. Because I can't do them in my own strength. I don't have the capability. But that's okay, neither do you. None of us can, but we can as we rely upon God to teach us and to show us. And then, my final point this morning, Dan McLaughlin said it must be somebody else other than Pastor Doug was preaching because we, they were really short the first service. <laughs> he didn't really say that. I just thought, I just wanted to burn him a little bit. <laughs> See, I can do that because Dan succeeded me at the office, so I, I've got that right, though. <laughs> My last point. I, I love this title. I, I came up with this, by the way. I, I went in, and I, I, I got up. I, I couldn't sleep one night, and I all of a sudden had all these things floating around my mind, and, and I went in and wrote it down because I, I really like this. The greatest in God's kingdom. What is the greatest in God's kingdom? He says, love never fails. Where, the pro where there are prophecies, they will cease. Where there are tongues, they will be stilled. Where there is knowledge, it will pass away. For we know in part, we prophesy in part, but when perfection comes, the imperfect disappears. The reality is, there's been a lot of misconception about what the perfect is. This is the perfect when Jesus comes back. When he takes us to be with him for all eternity. That's the perfect. And at that point in time, when we're standing in the presence of the Almighty, then in turn, we don't need the gifts of the Spirit any longer. We don't need these manifestations. Why? Because we're standing in the midst of perfection. We are there in that place where He is manifesting all truth. We don't need tongues to worship Him, to praise Him, to exalt Him. We don't need the miracles any longer. Why? Because we are standing in his midst. We're standing in that heavenly place. And then, and then he goes on. He, he makes this statement. 
But when perfection comes, the imperfect disappears. When I was a child, I talked like a child, I thought like a child, I reasoned like a child. When I became a man, I put childish ways behind me. In other words, what he's saying is, grow up. Very simply. You realize that this Christian experience is one where you mature. We can't stay as children. Grow up. I keep saying to my four-year-old granddaughter, you act like a baby, you'll be treated like a baby. You act like a a four-year-old, you'll be treated like a four-year-old. So don't talk like a baby, don't act like a baby, period. How's that for tough? (laughs) I mean it. Grow up. But you know something? We laugh at that, but that's exactly what God is saying to you and I. Grow up. Start growing up and act maturely. Start growing up and love like you're supposed to love. And he's saying to us as fathers and grandfathers, grow up and act like you're supposed to. You're to be the man of the house and you're to be the leader and you're to be the example. Boy, is that tough. But that's what it says. You know, he says, he says we don't understand this perfection, really. Because we look, at, we look in this mirror you know, and for Paul, the mirror was a metal that reflected, you know, it, it showed his image, but it was so distorted. He says, you look at a mirror, and you don't see it plainly. I think sometimes that's the way it is in my home. I look at my mirror and I think, man, you look old. <laughs> you can't be that old. It doesn't change. That's the problem. But the reality is, here's the reality. We look at, we look at the things of God many times in this, in this distorted fashion. That's how we're seeing it now. But there's going to come a day when we're going to see the perfection. Now, how are we going to see that? By realizing what he's doing is he's doing the perfecting right here and right now. He's doing the perfecting in you and me. Grow up. Realize that what you're seeing is not total, the total perfection, but you're coming a day, and you need to be ready for when that day arrives. He says, finally, he says, now, with these three remaining, faith, hope, and love, but the greatest of these is love. The greatest of these is love. You see, the faith will be taken care of. When we stand in his presence, there's no reason, more reason to faith. We can see. The hope has been accomplished. But there's love that's going to remain. And so question, dads. I'm going to speak especially to the fathers right now for a minute. How are you doing in that love area? Are you loving as God would love? Are you exhibiting that? Are you manifesting that for your kids? Because they're looking at you. They're trying to determine how to love. And dads, it's up to you to set that example. That's what God has called you to. That's okay, ladies. I'm not going to leave you out. Are you loving the way you're supposed to? Because your kids are looking at you as well. You can't get away from that. He's looking at each one of us as, as believers. 
It's amazing over the years how people change when they find out that there's a reverend in front of my name. But the reality is, even though there's a reverend there, there's a growth factor that I have to go through and Pastor Doug has to go through and everyone in this room has to go through. There's a maturity factor. That's what he's expecting from us. It's Father's Day. Happy Father's Day. But here's the reality, guys. He can give you what you need to be the father that you've been called to be. You know, he wants you to be a man of God, gentlemen. He wants you to be men of God that can stand up and, and, and in turn represent Christ well to your children and to those around you. But ladies, he wants you to be the woman of God that he's called you to be. He wants you to stand up and be the woman of God and be the example for your kids, for your daughters and for your sons. He wants us to be men and women of God so that when we go out there next Sunday, the people in that community of Salve will know this is what being a believer looks like. Kim, if you could make your way here. We're going to do something a little bit different this morning. We're going to do this. We're going to ask you to be men of God. So first of all, my call is going to be for the dad sitting in this auditorium. If you're a dad, you need all the help you can get. You know, my kids didn't come with manuals. They didn't come with manuals. I didn't, you know, how was I going to be a father? I, well, the first thing was that I had to come to grips with the fact that the only way that I could be the adequate, the appropriate, the, the godly father that I was supposed to be was to be a man of God. So are you ready to be the man of God God wants you to be? Are you ready to be the man of God that he's called you to be? So I'm going to ask you to do something this morning, men. If you're ready to take on that challenge, I want you to stand to your feet. I want you to move into the aisles. I want you to come and join me right at this, this altar here. I want you to say, yeah, I'm ready. I'm going to be the man of God God has called me to be. You're a dad, you're sitting here, and you realize the awesome responsibility and the awesome opportunity that you have. Today's the day. I want you to come and join me. This, this responsibility that we have is awesome, isn't it? It's a wonderful privilege. It's an exciting privilege. Dennis, did you ever think that it would be quite as hard as when you first started as it is? No. No. <laughs> oh, hallelujah. Now, there are, there are young men sitting here, and you're not fathers, but you may be someday. But you have a responsibility of being the man of God that God has called you to be. So I'm going to ask you to come and join us right here. Come and join us. Now, I did this in the first service. She's ready for it now. Come on, come on, gentlemen, come on over here. Over here on this side. We want you to get as close to the altar as possible. 
I did this in the first service. I said, rather than me praying for the men, because I need the prayer as much as anybody, I decided that I was going to have my better half, the one that uh, knows me, <laughs> knows that I need the prayer, <laughs> to come and pray for all of us men. So I'm going to ask Sharon to come up and join me. The first time I, I surprised her, now she's ready. <laughs> she was good the first time. She ought to be you. Whoa. Get ready. <laughs> okay, gentlemen. The prayer is that we're going to be the men of God that God has called us to be. Are you ready? You truly ready? That we're going to love the way God shows us to love. That, that character is going to be exhibited and manifested for those out there that need to know. Your kids and your grandkids, for those of us who have grandkids. Are you ready for the challenge? Sharon. Ladies, why don't you stand before we do that? Why don't you stand? Why don't you reach out your hands? Okay, would you do that? Reach out your hands and agree with Sharon as we pray this morning. Okay. Thank you, Lord. Lord thank God, you, we do thank you. We thank you for these men who have gathered and standing before you. Amen. who have come with open hearts, Lord Jesus, who are willing to make the point of being a man of God Amen. that you have called them to yes. be. We thank you for their lives, Lord Jesus, and how they've impacted their wives and their children and those other ones that they have touched through their influence. And Lord Jesus, right now we pray over them. We pray your goodness. We yes. pray your love. We yes. pray your help, Lord yes. Jesus. We pray your strength. Yes. We pray that you empower them. Yes. Lord Jesus, not only hear your voice, but also to walk in that power. And Lord, listen to all that you have said to them and all that you work in their hearts, Lord Jesus, yes, that Lord. they might grow and be and exhibit all that you are in Amen. them. Yes. Touch lives through them, Lord. Lord, touch their families. Yes. Lord Jesus, do a powerful work and that we can give all the glory to you for you have done it, for you have called, you empowered, and you do. And we thank you, Lord, in Amen. your precious name. Thank you, Jesus. Amen. Now, gentlemen, here's what I want you to do. You've got to make this pledge to me. That this day, you'll go home and you'll pray over your family because you're the man of the house. You are the head of that household. You'll pray God's blessing upon your family. You'll pray God's anointing upon your family. Now, to, to get you in the proper perspective here, I'm going to have you turn around. Turn around right now, right where you are. Turn around, face these ladies. And here's what I'd like to do. I'd like to, you to reach out your hands and we're going to pray over these ladies. That we can be the men of God that's needed in this world. That we can stand for righteousness. That we can stand strong for, for His glory. Father, I would pray today that you might be glorified in this place. Lord God, might your name be lifted high in every home that's represented here. Might you be honored. I would pray your richest blessing upon every lady that is standing in this auditorium. 
the Lord God, you would pour out your spirit upon them. That you would help them to rise up and be the woman of God that you've called them to be. That truly, that they, their, their husbands and their children would be the examples of the living God to a lost world. I'm praying today your richest blessing upon these ladies that, Lord, they might know your love and they might show your love. That they might be all that you've called them to be. Lord, today we've committed our lives into your hand. I'm praying, Lord God, that every family would receive that blessing from you. And Lord God, that your anointing would rest upon these families. And even those families that are watching at home, might you be glorified this day. It's in that precious, glorious, wonderful name of God. And everyone said, may the Lord bless you. May he watch over you. May he keep you.